Hello, friends, and welcome to the Healing Ground Movement. Now, for more content and bonus features, you can join us on Facebook and Instagram. And remember, all of our content is delivered freely. So please consider supporting the show by donating via the link on our website at healinggroundmovement.com or liking and reviewing the podcast on your favorite platform. Enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to a very special compilation episode of Healing Ground Movement Podcast. This week, I, Dr. Carly, am on a family vacation. So I'd love you to check out a compilation of some of our favorite old episodes covering lifestyle medicine. Do a little self-care for yourself this week, and I'll see you next Monday with a new episode of Healing Ground Movement Podcast. Have a great week. Taking this out into the community and helping others know what it is to to thrive, um, to thrive in different situations. Where are you going with that? Um, well, I mean, right now mm-hmm. I I do that through speaking mm-hmm. and doing workshops, um, and also through my writing. I just I feel that a lot of people limit themselves, mm-hmm. and I know I I do that to myself too. I I set limits for myself. Um, in different areas of my life and have trouble getting over those barriers. Mm-hmm. And, and But at the same time, as an athlete, like I, I know <laughs> that a barrier is just, you know, it's just a kind of a temporary thing in your way and you, mm-hmm. you have to think your way over it or around it or whatever. And so I, I, you know, my message is just teaching people that, yes, there are, there are barriers in all of our lives. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's a matter of how you think and how you, you know, kind of operate to be able to get around those barriers. And mm-hmm. I want to share my experiences with sport and with my injury and, um, you know, how to get around those, you know, when it comes to other areas of your life, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, your blocks are in business or in relationships or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, I, I always believe there's a way around it. It's yeah. just, you know, sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it takes you know, learning different lessons, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. I mean, I have plenty of lessons to learn, but I'm also really eager to learn, you know, yeah. like I want to know how to problem solve when I get up against one mm-hmm. of those obstacles. Well, I think there's a real opportunity to talk about mindset and appreciate that there, like you said, that there are barriers everywhere. And there's a lot of times that I've been told through my injuries, through head injury and, um, being hearing impaired and all of these different pieces that I've had, that it is, that is the most insurmountable thing. And to me, the truth is when you learn to live with something, you learn to live with something and it doesn't have to remain insurmountable. And we can know that there are other places in your life. So when you bring up businesses or for some people with relationship or finances, these are just very physical, easy to point at things. But this idea of having a growth mindset and an insatiable thirst to just do more applies everywhere. Right. And just, you know, just knowing that, you know, you might not know how to do something Mm -hmm. yet, but the the, the information is out there. (laughs) The information for anything is out there. It's just having that desire. Mm -hmm. And I think I think that's where people get caught and they don't understand is that, you know, when I talk and I, you know, do my motivational speeches and I talk about doing Ironman mm-hmm. and uh, people come up to me afterwards and, you know, say, wow, I could never do an <laughs> Ironman. I can't believe you do that. 
And, you know, my question back to them is, well, do you want to? <laughs> because that's the thing. If you don't yeah. want to, of course you're never going to be able yeah. to because you're not going to have the passion to take the time mm -hmm. to go to do a 10-hour bike ride or to travel across the country or across the world mm -hmm. to go do one of these competitions. And so, you know, like, do I have the motivation to become a multimillionaire? Probably not, you know, like, yeah. sure, I'd love to make a lot of money and I want to work hard and get mm -hmm. there. But do I want to put my whole life into, you know, doing that? Yeah. No, because there's other things that I want to do. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you just have to decide what's your priority, mm -hmm. what's your passion, and then go do that and do that to the best of your abilities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the other things, obviously, you have to do some sort of maintaining or learning or whatever along the line. But you don't have to, you know. It doesn't, there's not one right way to live. And that's what is so, you know, I think difficult for people for some reason to understand. I think so, that there's this idea of what should be done. And we should right. be um, doing Iron, you know, being able to do Ironmans. And we should have, um, you know, huge financial freedom. And we should and we should. But the fact of the matter is, if you needed to set up emailing lists and, and pipelines for your billion-dollar billion industry, you wouldn't have time for your 10-hour ride. Right, exactly. And, and where your joy comes from is that 10-hour ride. Exactly. Versus someone who likes connecting with people through email and having that kind of funneling and figuring out those systems. Then it becomes not work, but something that fills you up. Right. And, and to your point, too, is that you don't have to want to be an Olympian mm -hmm. or a Paralympian or an Ironman you might want to do a sprint triathlon every five years you yeah. know and that's fine too like it's just it's all about being true to who you are and mm -hmm. what you want and so many people are so concerned about what it looks like on the outside yeah that they can't be true to themselves mm -hmm. and that to me is really unfortunate and something that I want to share with people is that it's not that I became an Ironman or that I became a Paralympian. Mm -hmm. It's that I followed what I wanted to do and I followed what makes me me. Yeah. You know? I think that's the big takeaway. There's nothing very glamorous about that. There's no, no shiny trophy for that. No. But it is what gets you the shiny trophy. <laughs> <laughs> it right? is, but it's yeah. still not a glamorous life or no, anything. No, <laughs> it's, it, it's, that, it's that uncomfortable I don't have any other choice but to do what I am doing. Yeah. For my own joy and my own happiness when it comes to this um, really dramatized idea of how did you make yourself do it? How did you push yourself through through the pain and the relearning and the what have you? It's, well, I don't really have any other choice to be happy. Right, you know? exactly. <laughs> it's just what I wanted to do. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, it's yeah. how you get to what you want. And, yeah. And, but you have to clear out the things that you don't want mm -hmm. or the things that don't serve you or interest you or, you know, that kind of thing. So so what do you think are um, sort of more attainable ways for people to start tapping into that? Is there something that you share when you do your talks as far as? I think, uh, you know, a lot of it is really sitting with yourself and mm -hmm. listening to yourself and um, just finding out, A, what drives you, what motivates you, and mm -hmm. then B, tuning out the noise of what you think you should be on the outside. Mm -hmm. And I do that a lot through writing. Um, I'll do that through my journal and, you know, this is what I want, this is what I'm after. And if I, if I look through my journal, the, it's, it's amazing, actually. <laughs> yeah. Like, the themes are completely the same. 
the even the words that I use, like I'll look at something five years ago and as something today and be mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, I use that exact phrase. So it's mm-hmm. like I know that that is what's running through my head because it was running through it five years ago <laughs> and still running through it today. Mm-hmm. And so that you know that's kind of how I find you know what are the recurring themes? What is it that I really want? Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes you get with your friends and you know like. My best friend, for instance, has four kids, and she is an amazing mother. Her kids are awesome, and I love their family unit. Mm -hmm. Is that for me? No. (laughs) And so, but when I look at her, I'm like, oh, oh, I want four kids. I want my life to look like that. Mm -hmm. But it wouldn't be my life then because that's not that's not what feeds me. And so, um, you know, it's it's so easy to look at what somebody else has Mm -hmm. and say oh, that's awesome, but it's only awesome because it looks good on them. Yeah, It's like, you know, you wearing your jeans and then me wearing your jeans. Like, <laughs> they look awesome on you. <laughs> Put them on me, they're not going to look so good. You know what yeah, I mean? It's so, not built the same. No, so yeah. you got you to gotta find the jeans that fit and, yeah. and wear them and be okay with that. And mm-hmm. just say, you know what? My jeans are a size 12 and yours are a size 8 or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And just, and just be okay with that. Well, and I think when we look at other people and you look at your your friend with the family of four or someone looks at you competing in the Paralympics or doing the Ironman, what we are envious of or wish that we had, you know, wish I could do was have the joy that you're experiencing right now. Exactly. That I want to feel as good as you feel completing your Ironman. Not actually completing an Ironman because I would feel like total crap. <laughs> right. That would not be for me. But the joy yeah, that you're is. doing. And yeah. that's, that's very well said. It is, it is about seeing the joy that somebody else has mm-hmm. and wanting that. And, but that's still, you know, it's still misleading because you can mm-hmm. see the joy when I come back from the Ironman. Yeah. But you did not see what it looked like <laughs> the morning when I woke up and I was like, oh, I don't want to be <laughs> exercising for 16 hours today. Right. Or, you know, the day I came home from work and I had to ride six hours and I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the day that I had to ride when it was 25 degrees out and I was frozen. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it's like. It's it's only it's it's like it's the Facebook thing, you yeah. know. It's like that's it's only a curated. snapshot in time, mm-hmm. and you you have to think that there's there's other things about it. You know? it in the midst of global chaos this summer, Janet Alps and I sat down to discuss valuing this one precious life you have and just what you want to do with it. How could an entire beautiful system of movement possibly be? only based in the realm of uh, self-defense. Self-defense for me is on the outer realm. At the core is learning day by day, what is this beautiful life? And how does this beautiful life relate to other life? All Mm -hmm. kinds of life. So I found these women by the name of Noro, And there are some other things written about them now, so that there is more information, which I'm very happy about. So the Noro would be the the, kind of the center of the community and help to make these connections uh, from ourselves as human beings to the spirit world, animal world, plant world, the ground, the ground, the ground. So all of this, as we have come from the ground, Mm -hmm. all of these movements also come from the ground. So knowing about the roots 
and honoring the exchange in a respectful way because it's also possible to steal mm -hmm. and stealing anything has to do with making a disconnection mm -hmm. and therefore you take energy out of whatever that is you destroy energy as far as i'm concerned the the cycles that are portrayed in these arts have everything to do with the natural creation destruction cycles mm -hmm. um and and they are natural right because as you point out we're gonna die mm -hmm. where does our energy go okay we have human stories about that but nobody can prove <laughs> where we came from or where we're going right. right we can have a big feeling about it so that big feeling when when somebody chooses to make a disconnection by stealing or in whatever way to me that dishonors the creation destruction that word destruction maybe it's just you know maybe we don't understand in english <laughs> what what this cycle means because nothing is ever actually destroyed disappeared in terms of energy apparently right mm -hmm. oh yeah but when i'm causing suffering suffering happens but mm -hmm. when i'm promoting suffering mm -hmm. that is unnecessary and is not skillful i so. love the the language choice of promoting suffering and this idea of the cycle of creation destruction it is it's so important right now particularly as our world our global world has hit this you know literal boiling point and yeah. you know here in colorado for the last few weeks in california as well we have been on fire we have had a massive destruction on fire um I, Think there were five burning this last weekend and of course we got a ton of snow from that but we got the snow from the heat rising and the fire destroying the old burnout because you know we also have a lot of beetle kill we have a lot of old dying trees and that destructive fire becomes part of the natural process the natural turnover of a forest that needs a chance to renew because from those ashes we will get the new greenery we'll get the new foliage now, of course, that's going to be different than someone carelessly leaving a cigarette and causing a burn in a forest that isn't ready to turn, that is new and fresh. You can still burn down a forest that, it, that it's not its time, and you can still take a life, you can still steal a life that it's not its time. That's right. And it's a very tenuous difference. But to go back to your point of valuing a life, valuing passion, I, I would imagine that as you value your own life and the passion of, of this one flame that you are carrying with you, you, know, you, you start to value others as well and can respect they will have their time to leave um, and it is not, not of your power to make them suffer and leave faster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And mm -hmm. human beings creating this imbalance Mm -hmm. through so much dis disconnection, mm -hmm. disconnection from ourselves, disconnection from where we receive resources, how we receive resources. The, the whole earth is a gift. Mm -hmm. and, and so apparently as human beings, since we are part of the earth, we are a gift and we have gifts to give back. And so, for instance, to have this, uh, this gesture, which I consider a universal human gesture, everywhere I've ever been, a palm uh, people, people know 
listening. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. People know something about this. Mm -hmm. Everybody has done it. Everybody has a feeling. It's not religious. It's not anything in particular, except for what you make from the feeling. Mm -hmm. So the feeling, I just, I ask people, put your palms together, let your, let your shoulders drop, you know, just feel like, what does that feel like? And generally comments are in the range of peaceful, calm, connected, loving, open-hearted, et cetera, et cetera. But this is also a protective gesture. So if somebody were to enter my space, let's say grab my hands, I, and, and they were not welcome, they were meaning mm -hmm. harm, uh, there, it's not that difficult to go up, around, and make this kind of spiraling motion, which we do all the time as part mm -hmm. of our moving meditation. It's a basic gesture, and um, it's actually pretty easy to remove somebody's hands to, to open their grip. Mm -hmm. So this is one example of how all of these life-giving forces that we express through movement are actu actually also very protective mm -hmm. from the beginning because they help increase our sense of calm and calmness is protective because it is good for the immune system yes <laughs> all, all the way to that moment of of fear when we might be freezing because we're so scared that we, you know, we follow that constricted breathing, which is mm -hmm. the definition of fear, right? We go like this, mm -hmm. that freezing moment, I just described to people and then they feel it. That freezing moment is a concentration of energy. And then from there, right, you burst open mm -hmm. like, a, like a seed pod that's just ready to go into the world. And that helps release you from that constriction of fear. And mm -hmm. it's also a physical release if somebody is trying to grab you. Mm -hmm. So it, it just, it goes on and on in terms of the, the spiraling cycle of promoting life, mm -hmm. promoting healing, promoting, oh, you probably know the <laughs> word holos mm, that yeah. comes from. It's a Greek word and it means holistic. So it means integrity. So healing is about promoting integrity. And people think, oh, you know, I'm gonna go to the doctor, I'm gonna get my fix and I'll be all better. Mm -hmm. Healing is a, a lifelong process of basically finding balance, noticing mm -hmm. the imbalance, um, seeking out help from inside, from outside and finding that next level of integrity, which is connection, which is relationship of all kinds. And then you just come back around to, oh, now I feel more connected. Wow, now I feel more energy. Mm -hmm. Oh, now I know my actual power rather than uh, something that is assigned to me because of the color of my skin mm -hmm. or my gender or you know th those um kind of the false sense that we get from, <laughs> from cultural mm -hmm. boxes and then all that produces is insecurity which comes out often as arrogance and how do you connect with that mm -hmm. you know because it's meant to, for it's meant to disconnect us those boxes
so it just yeah yeah it, it creates that hierarchy and it puts one in a place where we can't be touched because of a higher um level of um belonging and i use generous air quotes here or a lower level of belonging and in reality there is this global connection and we have created systems with with blocks and deterrence um, to continue this ideal idea that anyone is better than another. We have baked it into our culture versus understanding that there is a, a cycle and a give and take for everybody. Yeah. And, and I love, I can't believe I didn't know the Greek origin of healing after all this time, uh, because we do talk about salutogenic healing a lot in my office and here on the, on the podcast, which is different than the very commonly understood, though maybe not labeled, pathogenic healing, where if there's something wrong within us, something less ideal, and I'll, I'll try not to use negative terminology, but just something that isn't working within us, the idea is to, yes, go get it cut out, um, take a drug to poison it or take a drug to regulate it versus having an idea that maybe it is a sign of somewhere in that cycle, we have hit a place of dis-ease. We have hit a place of working less, but it's not necessarily a bad thing because just like that analogy you did of that fear pulling in to burst forward, we have this sign of overdoing, undernourishing, um, maladaption to teach us what we could do better to be a healthier expression of ourself. And the idea that that healthier expression of ourself needs to be the end all be all, well, you still have many more years to go. I certainly hope it's not. You will have another cycle of maladaption and growth to come from that, should you choose or continue disconnect to cut out and poison. Now that's not saying there isn't emergency medicine that we need intervention and saved my life. That's why I'm here. But the day to day, could we look at a more holistic approach? We began 18 months ago with our very first episode featuring Cheryl Ilove. She discusses how the challenge becomes the gift and with empowerment, the work is yours. So I know that you're currently growing a community of, of support for people to find their voice and stand their ground, finding mm -hmm. that deeper center. Mm -hmm. How did you get there from the beginnings as a PT? How did you flow there? <laughs> Ooh, my goodness. <laughs> That's really an interesting question. Oh, how did I, how did that work? I was so deeply involved mm -hmm. in the lifelong learning yes. process like you are as well. And along the way, uh, along with the ballet and the martial arts and Pilates, I discovered something called Feldenkrais. Mm -hmm. and, if and give a little synopsis of what Feldenkrais it is. Feldenkrais is a highly sophisticated form of neuromuscular re-education based on the scientific principle of neuroplasticity. Wonderful. Which simply means, as you know, yes. that we are capable, our nervous system is capable of learning new things and changing during the entire course of our lifetime. However... When I was in physical therapy school, and it wasn't really that long ago, I graduated in 96, we mm -hmm. were taught that this miracle of nature, this neuroplasticity, only existed in the human body, the human brain, until the age of 14, and then it just disappeared. And I think when I got my doctorate, we were up to 27. <laughs> 
and and that was only that's great five years ago. Isn't that incredible? Which I mean, of course, we know since then there's a lot of research coming out right. that says it never leaves. We it always never. have the chance to change our brain and change the way our bodies work. Yeah. But it's this whole arena is such a fast changing place of study. So I love that back in the '90s, which to me will always be last year, but I guess it's I really like 20 years ago. You were getting into this idea of neuroplasticity. Uh, and I loved the idea. And mm-hmm. the funny thing is, Feldenkrais, it's kind of a funny name, but yes. it's actually based on the guy who developed the system and the method, which was Moshe Feldenkrais. And he was born in, I believe it was 1900, and then he died in 1983. Okay. So he was way ahead of his time. Oh, absolutely. And he developed the method from a terrible knee injury that he had. He experienced um, a really bad injury from playing soccer. He was an athlete. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he kind of rehabbed it, and then he would notice that just stepping off the curb, his knee would, t- you know, turn or do something Buffle. funny. Yeah. yeah. And the whole thing would start all over again. So for years, he really struggled with this knee problem and the knee pain and stiffness and to the point where it was really impacting his ability to move and his mobility. So (laughs) he went to so many therapists, you know, this is back in probably the 1930s when this was going on maybe the 40s, I don't know. But he was finally faced with surgery and he was told that the only thing they could do would be knee surgery. Now think about knee surgery back then. Think about nurse knee surgery now. <laughs> and I don't even want to. Yeah. But, but yeah, back then, hundred years ago. Oh yes. gee, what a nightmare. <laughs> and he asked the surgeon, Well, you know, how much what's the success rate? And he says, Eh, maybe fifty fifty if you're lucky. And he's like, Thank you very much. <laughs> and he left. So Smart he man. figured, I know. So and this is what I love about him and a lot of the different um, movement arts that I've studied along the way, through this adversity came triumph and came his own path. So he discovered a way to pay attention to how he moved, Mm -hmm. like foot placement, hip placement. So through this incredibly slow and tedious process of self-awareness, he was able to heal his own knee. It's phenomenal. So often the challenge becomes the gift. It gives you the opportunity to slow down that you would never take in your everyday life right? and turn your awareness inward. And I love that he created such, I mean, and anyone who hasn't in, engaged with Feldenkrais before, it's a right. phenomenal neuromuscular yeah. retraining. But I'm glad <laughs> you said that because it does take time. It does. It's not overnight. It's not overnight, but yet when it happens, it's yours and you really own it. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between saying, give me this pill, you know, go ahead and do this surgery. And a lot of times if you have surgery, sometimes you end up having another surgery and then yes. another. So to have that kind of... To me, that's truly empowerment and Mm -hmm. personal empowerment is being able to understand your own body and the sensations going through it and how to be able to heal it yourself. Phenomenal. Yeah. And to get help along the way Mm -hmm. from people who can just give you a boost, give you a boost like you do. But it becomes so much of the work is yours. Mm -hmm. The information and the resourcing comes from those that you find in your community. But the work is yours. And the responsibility is basically. (laughs) Even more important, the responsibility. Yes. So tell us about this project. Who who are you speaking to? What What is this voice that you are cultivating? I am trying to cultivate everybody finding their own true voice Mm -hmm. and their own true message, um, finding their own path to be able to stand their ground, find their voice, and again, 
discover your own true self. That sounds a little corny, and that's mm -hmm. something that comes from Feldenkrais, your own true self. And when I was going through the Feldenkrais training, which is a four-year-long program, I swore, I says, I will never say some of these phrases that all the Feldenkrais people say. And it was like, oh, no, I'm saying it now. <laughs> but it turns out he was right. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Once again, there's that stubbornness coming through. <laughs> but when you know yourself and you mm -hmm. can find your own true path, uh, Moshe was, also used to call it living your avowed dream. Say that one more time, your avowed dream? Your avowed dream. Wow. Because mm -hmm. everybody has their own true path Absolutely. and what makes them whole and completely human. Mm -hmm. And again, as we said, we're all different. Yes. And if you're walking a path that really doesn't belong to you, mm -hmm. then you're, you're not fulfilled. You're not happy. You're not healthy. Yes. So if you can get back on track, and I, I really believe that a lot of things that happened to me along the way with my back pain and a couple of the other things, as you know, that, you know, I was assaulted when I was in my 40s, and that's mm -hmm. how I ended up in martial arts. But I really believe that the, all those things that happened set me up for my own true path so that I can be a mouthpiece and I can share this to other people. And it's like, if I could do it, <laughs> anybody could do it. And I love that sense, and you're really just walking the path that we described with Feldenkrais earlier, is that you are owning your journey and you're yeah. owning your truth. Yeah. And when you have that kind of um, self-possessed nature, mm -hmm. not only do you get the benefits of that struggle, but you have the wisdom to share. Mm -hmm. and, and I want to... Uh, share the message of hope mm -hmm. to other people who, because everybody's got their history. Yes. Life is full of hits, and we do not get up through this little game of life mm -hmm. without our own fair share. Yes. And what you do with those hits and how you recover from them and the flexibility, which is another thing that I got from martial arts and Feldenkrais, because Feldenkrais was a judo expert. So oh, a I lot of, that. oh yeah, oh. he was the first um, non-Asian the first European to earn a black belt in judo. Fantastic. And from the guy who create you know, created the yeah. The whole the, the whole, whole thing. judo thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. But, but I like, um, just to kind of draw you back, that what you said is that we all take our hits and we all mm -hmm. have our moments. And and you had you were sort of, I don't know, the sentiment of anyone can do it and everyone is going mm -hmm. to have their journey. Mm -hmm. It's it's not this hero's journey of look at me how much I got knocked down. Right. It's we're all we're all toiling in this together. Right. And let's find the resources that we need. That's another thing what mm -hmm. I'm doing with this community mm -hmm. is to try and tie people into those um, resources. Yeah. And to create that cross-reference, like I called it my Femininja All-Stars, yes, which you are it. one of my All-Stars. That that's one of my favorite clubs to be part of. <laughs> it's such a fun group, and what brilliant ladies, ladies I finally they get are, to meet one of them oh, next week. Well, aside from Ashley. Yeah. But, yeah. But, oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and you are so brilliant, each one of you, and each one of you have had your own struggles and have been able to recover from that and come onto the other side. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that there's not going to be another hit in the future? Absolutely. Absolutely not. But you've got enough resources now to handle them. So this is the message that I want to share to people who might be feeling hopeless, mm -hmm. who might be feeling at their wits end, to never give up. There's always a way. There is always a way to recover from whatever it is that you're struggling with, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, psychological, financial, relationships, you name it, there is always another way. So you're never at a dead end. I love it. And I think that's a message that is so pertinent and so necessary these days. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are struggling with mental, emotional, and physical yeah. dead ends and just not being sure where to turn. And so much of the answer is to find resources mm -hmm. and turn inward. 
and to be able to move through it. Yes, don't stop. Yeah, don't stop. Keep moving. Journey had it right. Exactly. Don't stop <laughs> yeah, don't stop. But and, <laughs> any kind of physical movement is yeah. going to help you mentally and cognitively mm-hmm. work through problems. Like anytime that you really feel stuck, because mm-hmm. you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir. Yes. <laughs> but for the listeners, anytime that you do feel stuck, mm-hmm. just stop what you're doing. Go outside, take a walk around the block. You know, do a little jig in your kitchen, yeah. sit on a ball, bounce around a little bit, do something. And all of a sudden, you're going to work through a lot of those blocks. Some of the best p- solutions I ever came up with to problems that I was having mm-hmm. was when I was practicing my kihon in my own living room. And moving through it. Exactly. Well, and so much of the resources resources today are saying, what if I could tell you something that would improve your overall health, make you mm-hmm. live longer, make you mm-hmm. think better, make you a happier person, and you only had to do it three times a week? And, of course, the answer is exercise. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the real answer is move. Yeah. And move. it's just a resource that is at our fingertips, and we don't, we don't know how to change. Finally, Dr. Reed Pierce joined us to discuss positivity practices and its impact on a salutogenic approach to health. So a couple of interesting things have come forward. One is uh, this really powerful idea of pathogenesis and salutogenesis. So mm-hmm. that's grounded in you know clinical practice for many of us, but... I think it took probably five years of me being in this space before I heard the conversation start to turn towards this idea that, hey, if we're focused on burnout, which is sort of a pathogenic idea, mm-hmm. and we focus solely on getting that to zero, meaning let's remove the bad stuff. Yeah. So in clinical cut medicine, out. cut it out, right? Get yeah. rid of it. Poison it. Does that actually get us to thriving and mm-hmm. to the sort of holistic, humanistic world that we want? The answer is no. So there's this parallel set of things we need to be working on that I'll call salutogenic. So how do we grow the good stuff? And can I interrupt you for a second? Because we've talked about pathogenics and salutogenic before on the podcast. It's a concept that I am like married to now. But could you give us the the technical difference between the two as you see it applying to what you're doing? Yeah. So Mm -hmm. maybe I'll give a clinical example and then Mm -hmm. uh, in well-being. So um, pathogenesis uh, would focus on, um, you know, what's broken with you, what can we fix? Mm -hmm. Um, So if, um, you know, if you have um, high cholesterol, then my goal is to get your cholesterol number down, I'm going to give you a medicine to reduce that. And if we get the cholesterol level below a certain level, then we're good, Mm -hmm. because we've reduced the risk, the number looks okay to me. Now, there's a whole parallel set of conversations about, well, how is your diet? How is your exercise? Are you living in a well way as a human being mm-hmm. um, that we didn't even address? Because I just looked at a number, I gave you a medicine, and I got that number below a certain threshold. Mm-hmm. So salutogenic might look at that same phenomenon and say, um, what would a sort of holistic and healthy approach be to eating well, to exercising often, uh, to sleeping better? All those things actually impact how your body processes fat and cholesterol. Mm -hmm. Um, And can we get you doing more of those things that are good not only for your cholesterol, but for you as a human being, for your sleep, for your mood, for your uh, physical stamina, et cetera? Mm -hmm. Um, So if you take that idea and you move it over to well-being, um, we can look at healthcare and we can say, Gosh, one of the major pain points that seems to have arisen um, is the fact that uh, our introduction of digital technology and electronic health record, which on balance is a good thing because mm-hmm. now nobody has to read my handwriting, which is great. <laughs> um, and we can send messages back and forth, whereas used to you would have to print out your copies of your medical record and take them elsewhere. I still do. I'm still on paper charts. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's part of the journey, the promise, yeah. right? What that thing has done is it has introduced this phenomenon where the human beings trying to have a conversation about health and well-being mm-hmm. now are distracted by the need to type a bunch of stuff into 
a computer. Yeah. Um, there's sort of this third person, this digital, uh, you know, partner in the room, and that feels like it takes away. So what we need to do. Mm-hmm pathogenic is to reduce the disruption of the electronic medical record so that we can connect again as human beings and that's good for me and it's good for you and we do our work better, et cetera. Um, well, that's fine, but um, what about salutogenic things that we can do that are good for well-being beyond just reducing the hassle of the electronic medical record? Like, um, does having a gratitude practice in our clinical team or in the you know clinician-patient relationship impact us in a way that actually is good for us as humans. Well, it turns out there's science that says it does. It, it affects a whole host of measures. If we're looking for stuff that's going well in our daily work and we're calling that out um, and we're celebrating that as individuals mm-hmm. and as teams. So um, working on the EHR will never get you to a gratitude practice uh, yeah. directly. So this, this sort of dual system of saying, where are the things we can reduce that will improve well-being in the care delivery system? And what are the things that we need to grow because they're salutogenic? Um, a lot of the stuff that com- is coming out right now in, in the grow category is around uh, a lot of the po- positive psychology movement that um, you know has been out in the literature for now 20 or 30 years. That's fantastic. And I like that looking at that and in, in that pathogenic versus salutogenic is that salutogenic um, offering or solution rarely looks like the thing that you're trying to reduce. So it's, it's a little bit of a long walk for a short drink of water to see how it would work. But if you have, say, that gratitude practice and that looking at that positivity, then there's less of a frustration of, I just need to get this done. Can you, and it, like, I, that just felt like a parenting moment for me too. It's like, I'm grateful about everything. So now I have the patience to take that moment, which really doesn't lengthen the visit or the interaction that long, but it's that pause for eye contact. Mm-hmm. It's that pause for listening and understanding understanding that wasn't really the EHR's fault that it was gone, but it became a very easy tool to use in its place Mm -hmm. versus that gratitude practice or that positivity. Now I have that breath, that lack of burnout to turn to you human to human. Right. Because that's what we want to get back is the human connection. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All all of those sorts of things. Um, And, um, you know, the other thing that I think is very interesting is uh, if you look at um, stress, forms of stress in, uh, in medicine and healthcare and healing, um, we have these moments where stress occurs. So part of it may be that someone comes to see you or me mm-hmm. um, feeling very stressed about his or her situation. And that stress gets transferred, right, as we start to have that conversation. Absolutely. Or it could be the other way around. I need to share some information about what I'm finding in the course of, um, you know, the clinical diagnostic workup, or you said something and you thought it was this condition, but actually now I'm worried about something else and I'm breaking a form of bad news, which is stressful because you weren't thinking about or worrying about that thing, but I need to tell you, hey, we maybe need to focus on this. So stress comes up all the time in our work. And if you take these um, positive practices, so gratitude being one of them, and there are a whole host of them we can talk through in a moment. Um, if you have those embedded, um, what happens to us at a human level is um, when I feel stress, uh, my recovery from that stress actually goes faster and better. So my heart rate comes down sooner. My uh, stress hormones come down sooner. My ability to come back into a stance where mm-hmm. I can be open and try to connect as a human as opposed to be in that headspace of I'm stressed, I'm worried, I need to protect myself, I need to sort of back up from whatever's going on. That window closes faster mm-hmm. and it allows us to get back into this humanity piece sooner. Um, so there's something real to this. It's not just we're trying to make people feel good. Yeah. Uh, there's actually a clinical effect to these salutogenic practices around well-being. Well, I remember uh, learning about a concept that it's not about like how much 
stress, you know, what big events of stress are coming into your life. It's about the micro doses mm -hmm. of stress, stress and having that threshold. And you can think of it as any kind of hairpin trigger that if you have had micro doses of stress all morning, all day, and you haven't done anything to drop that back down, then the next micro dose, whatever it is, and you know, as a, as a clinician, unfortunately, you have to give bad news with some sort of frequency, this should be old hat, it's still stressful. So even though it's a microdose, it pushes above that limit. Mm -hmm. And then you can keep pushing higher and higher and higher. And without the reset, all those little things do start to add up. And then it shows up, like you're saying, in the physiology of, of heart rate and, and, and cortisol. And when the stress mo hormones are constantly high, it affects our cholesterol. Like, it's all downstream effects mm -hmm. just from not taking a moment to find that those positivity practices, right? not just, but for an example. <laughs> right. And this, this idea, and this is one of the other, I think, helpful shifts around how do we tackle this thing, this mm -hmm. big complex web. Um, early on, I think when people uh, were talking about burnout as a thing in healthcare, as an mm -hmm. example, um, a, a lot of the early conversation, if you go back and you read what people were writing, uh, were about these very important and also incredibly difficult to tackle I think of them as structural issues. So mm -hmm. um, the payment model in medicine is not aligned with our core values and how we want to take care of people. It means that visits are shorter than they should be. Um, and until we solve that, I can't feel good about the work I do. My patients can't feel good about seeing me if I'm in the clinic. Or uh, the electronic health record we talked about. That thing, until somebody fixes it, I'm just sort of a victim of, of the system. Um, and what that mindset, I think, leads to is this hope that there's going to be like one, two, maybe three big things that suddenly change, and then we can all be well again in our work. Instead, it's what you just mentioned, Carly, which is small doses frequently. Like, that's mm -hmm. the rhythm we have to get into. And so these small doses of stress, how are we noticing those and working with those? And that's a great place where, you know, things like mindfulness and meditation have great science. You know, mm -hmm. notice, let it go, return to something else instead of just letting those microdoses stack up. Um, and then on the, you know, the, these healthy practices side, how do you get small doses of things like gratitude or interest or awe or pride in my work on a regular basis? Mm -hmm. As opposed to saying, you know, uh, maybe I'll get an award two years from now and I'll feel good about my work for 10 minutes and that's enough to get yeah. me through the next two years. <laughs> I'll be miserable in my practice until you give me something shiny and that'll feel great for yeah. a minute. And then go back to misery. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and I like when you're talking about, you know, we, we do have these big systems. And, you know, we've had, um, uh, we had a fantastic conversation with Adam Corshane, who's a PA who does concierge medicine, um, talking about those, those visits and the visit lengths when you talk about the financial aspect of it all. These are all big system problems that do need a huge overhaul. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of them in this country right now. But I like how you framed it, that we seem to have this idea that we're waiting for a Herculean or, or Superman to come in and remove the one big thing. But it does put us in this victim mentality. And that victim mentality, um, you know, I, I sort of associate that a little bit with a pathogenic approach where something needs to be taken out of my way. Mm -hmm. And I am powerless against it until somebody cuts it out or poisons it versus this idea that we can help make things smaller and more manageable with the microdoses. Mm -hmm. So even a physician in, you know, a, a terrible hospital culture, you know, there, there are things that we can do in that and same on the patient side as well. Mm -hmm.